Ladies and gents, my name is Matt Locke and you're listening to, and perhaps watching, the Unleashing Potential podcast. It's in these episodes that I chat with a range of progressive individuals who are unleashing their potential on the world around them at work and in life. With that said, I'm glad you're here so you can join me as we take a deep dive into today's guest. Deborah Scandalini, welcome to the Everyday Athlete podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Wonderful to be here. Have it, thanks for having me. Uh, of course. And um, before we dive into all things uh, leadership and culture, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are in the world and what it is that hmm. drives you. Awesome. Thank you. So currently, right now, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, United States, and some part of the time I'm in Chicago. Um, what drives me is waking people up to the life that they're called to live because of the death that I almost took trying to be the overachiever in the winter and um, living my passion and my calling, my purpose, my genius and waking up others to their genius. And I know that it's something you're deeply passionate about. And uh, maybe actually, we, we actually, if you're happy to, we have a little dive back into your backstory therefore, and just tell yeah. us, I guess, um, yeah, what was the turning point for you that led you down this current path? Yeah, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> So my whole entire life until I was 42. <laughs> um, <laughs> Young age. I just give you, yeah, exactly. I'm just going to give you an overview of, I grew up, um, and this is not against my parents. This is for them and for me. Um, the patterns that I learned growing up were to be um, the best because I wanted to be um, accepted because I wasn't accepted in my home. It was like a war zone in my home, actually. And so I looked outside of myself to gain connection, acceptance. And the way I did that was by being the best, being the best grade, you know, best student, being the best violinist, being the best track runner, being the best business, whatever salesperson, best business owner, but whatever it was, it was my motivation was to be the best. And at all costs, I was going to win. So um, I believe in the US that is the, and from probably much of the world, that's our goal is to win. And I didn't realize how much it was costing me. Hmm. Um, there's a big cost to winning. And what happened was um, actually I'm celebrating eight years, June 1st was my wake up that I'm more than being a winner. Um, and it feels like I should say congratulations and say eight years. <laughs> thank a, you. Yeah. Like you're talking about sobriety or something. So yeah. Obviously, <laughs> deeply impactful. For you. Yeah. yeah, it was hugely impactful because um, I was racing, I was a cyclist and I was a competitive cyclist and I was in a race. And it was really like, this is how crazy my brain is. It was really my B race. Like it wasn't supposed to be where I was going to be achieving. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling really great. I think I'm just going to podium today. And, <laughs> and that's all I remember. That's the last thing I remember because in the third last lap of our race, I was doing a criterion race. I was apparently bumped by another cyclist in that bumping. I plummeted to the ground, hit the curb. My skull cracked, my helmet cracked, my skull cracked. Nine of my ribs were shattered. My lung was punctured. My shoulder was separated and my temporal bone was broken. And I started convulsing because my skull, my brain bounced from the back of my head to the front of my head. So a brain bouncing in your skull, not a good thing. Not great. Yep. 
not good. And so a lot of blood and I started convulsing. I was raised to a trauma one hospital in Chicago and my family was called and said, we don't think she's going to make it. You need to get here now. I was placed in a coma for my brain to not keep working so it could calm itself down. And um, here I am because I'm the overachiever, overachiever. I'm going to win, right? So I'm here. Of course, they didn't die. <laughs> I'm going to win at this too. <laughs> and um, the whole journey was about my whole life, but then turning it completely. I believe my whole journey to being almost almost dying was because I had learned so much to protect myself, to be strong, to be defensive, that that's why I did live besides God, the universe, people praying for me. My body wasn't going to give up because it had known defense. It was really good at defense. Yeah, yeah. And when I was about to, I was in the hospital for a month and then I was released to learn to walk, talk, cut my food again therapy, a van that came to me three to four times a week to learn how to do all, to cut my food. Um, that was due to the brain trauma, I guess. That was, yeah. And plus I had nine ribs that were shattered. So my whole back was cut open and my ribs were plated and my shoulder, right. like this whole right side of my body was no good. And um, yeah, and, and so certain parts of my body weren't working. I couldn't speak. I couldn't think of words that I would normally think of. It would drive me nuts. I'd say, honey, can you go get my purple wallet? And it was orange, but I couldn't think of the word orange. I could only say purple. So, but the cool thing was when I was released from the hospital to go to therapy, the neurologist came in and said to me, now, I want you to be patient with yourself because it's going to take three years for your brain to heal you've been severely injured. And I said, hell no, it's not <laughs> because I'd already learned at a young age because of my trauma growing up that what I tell myself is how I'm going to survive or how I'm going to show up. So it's really important. I know what I believe. Mm. And I was not going to reject that thought. I mean, I was not going to take in that thought. I was going to reject that thought. There's a, there's a power in that. No, there's a power. You say? There's, a, there's an inner power in that. There's an inner power. It's the power to choose. It's the power to know what am I going to tell myself? Mm. What am I going to choose to believe about myself and the situation? Once we choose, it's so funny that you said there's, there's power in that because I just reread something I posted right shortly after and it's called choosing the power to choose. Mm. Yeah. The power to choose, yeah. right? So I already learned that as a young age. And so when I was released, from the hospital and I was lying in bed. They're like, you're gonna have to lie here for like two, two weeks before you can do anything because you can't hit your head again. And I basically did everything the opposite of what the doctors told me. <laughs> <laughs> they said, stay in bed because you can't hit your head. But I'm like, no, no, no. So I had my friends take me for a walk twice a day around my block. I had them take me down to the basement where I had a stationary bike and would just paddle. And I learned that, um, well, I beat the odds and long and short of it is because I did those things, I was oxygenating my brain by working out and it made my brain heal way faster. University of Chicago hospital neurologist who works with female athletes who have a brain injury. She didn't know my accident, but she studied me. She looked at my 400 and some pages of my hospital and she said, what you did whatever you did, you need to keep doing because you oxygenated your brain, which brought the healing about way quicker than if you had just lied around. 
So anyway, that's a side note. So when I was when <laughs> no, I was home, that's, that's a minor side note, though, is it? It's huge. It's huge. But the big the transformation for me mm. came from 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 this moment of being in a coma to being released out of a coma and knowing that I wasn't supposed to live yet here I was. Yeah, here I was and 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 I had I'll never forget I had the thought in while I was in my home bed crying out to God the universe and saying certainly my life is more than accomplishing and winning and getting things done and it's more than just helping others win and get their stuff done what is it what is it there's got to be a reason i'm here so it calls to the question the yeah that deep soul searching question yeah totally because i'm like i don't want to miss it this time yeah. because we all get a slap yep i believe we all get right and i must have been getting slapped and wasn't paying attention sure so I got slapped to the ground where I had like, I had to lie. I couldn't be the doer and the winner anymore. I had to lie still. So I could finally hear my purpose, my genius, which I believe everyone has their genius. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. But we don't listen to it and we don't even pause to wonder what is it? Well, we're too busy. We're, we're too, too busy. busy rushing around doing stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're too busy. The ego is like, do this, do that. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and off we go and so we don't have that ability right and so when i was so eight months later i'm back on my bike so i beat the odds on that i hadn't been totally healed yet but i was still allowed to drive my bike ride my bike outside and also drive my kids to school and this is where the transformation came so i'm driving my kids to school my son's about 16. He's going to a school in the city that had to get on the train in a very affluent town. And my little girl's in the back. She's about 11 going to middle school. She sees all these amazing, beautiful people getting on the train, going to work with her brother. And she says, as I pull away to take her to school, this is what like struck me. Mama, why is everyone so unhappy getting on the train, going to work? Yeah. 11 year old saying this right and all i could do i did exactly what you did i, I couldn't answer it it's like oh it was like this stab in my heart because i yeah, knew it to be kind of cuts doesn't it <laughs> totally cuts yeah. totally cuts right so i dropped her off i went home to get on my bike and i'm just about to go and i can see it now just about to go over the same tracks and my purpose came to me it was plain as day and this is what i heard thank god i almost died doing something i love doing and I was awesome at it. These dear precious people are getting on the train, going to work, dying a slow death every day, and they don't even realize it. I'm here to wake them the hell up. And I'm going straight to the top because the ones who achieve the most are the ones that suffer the most. So I went right to the CEO. So I knew that's what I was called to do. Yep, absolutely. I knew. I didn't know how, but I just knew this is my purpose. I realized my purpose was my life was spared to wake up other people to theirs. That's why that's, um, it's, it's profound, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so that was how many years ago now? 
Sorry, eight years ago. Eight giving, years ago. Giving age away. Sorry, it wasn't the point of the question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should have said anything. Eighty-ish, eighty-ish years ago. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And so, so what did that look like for you? So, from yeah. that point, what what mm -hmm. uh, what changed in a practical sense? Yeah. So the cool thing is, you might have this calling, but we the ego wants to figure it all out. Right. And I, my ego was still, my brain was still injured. So it wasn't like I could go and like research and how am I going to do this? I had to trust that if I'm called to do this, it's going to come forward. And so lo and behold, I met other coaches, someone in Colorado. I don't even know how we got connected. And he's like, have you heard of the 15 commitments of conscious leadership by Jim Dethmer and Diana Chapman? I'm like, no. And they actually, it wasn't even published yet. It was in, it wasn't in print paper print. It was, uh, like a final copy that I was sent. I read the intro, it was about two different lives, two different ways that people live their lives. And I'm like, this is what I'm, this is, this is the answer. This, and I got to reach out to this author. So he happened to live in Chicago and we met and lo and behold, I started to practice consciousness, practice when I get a result I don't want, how am I unconsciously creating that? Mm -hmm. yep. Right. We might not like what we have, but we're committed to having it because it's what we have. Yeah. We can't deny it. <laughs> you, know, you know, I might not like that I weigh 10 pounds more than I want to, but I'm responsible for it because it's what I, I'm committed to it because what I have. Yeah. So learning to understand my unconscious thinking, which brings about my unconscious emotions, which brings about my unconscious behavior, which is 96 to 98% of the time I'm not present. I'm in the future or the past, like all of us and we just keep doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result until we wake up to that unconscious belief system and behavior system, we're going to keep getting the same results. So my practice of consciousness is using those tools. And I'm also been certified and practice the Enneagram, which is another self-awareness on whether we're conscious or not tool. Um, and then I've studied with Byron Katie um, and a few other amazing people. And I just actually completed um, NYU has an inner MBA working on this part of how do you bring this to business um, in, in, Mar in, in, um, in May. Oh, May there. Well yeah. Uh, what was your takeaway from that? What was your um, what investment of time and, and energy? Yeah, my takeaway was that you know, like I was with someone who teaches these things like mindfulness at LinkedIn and some like keep actually um, Dan Goleman of Harvard was one of our professors and, on emotional intelligence. And sadly enough, I felt sad. I learned a ton and I love doing it, talking, thinking through things and that still leaders are not willing. They're not open to get curious around how they're creating the results they don't want. They're still in the blame. They still are like, this is what we have to do. This is the pattern. This is what we, you know, getting the result, winning. They're still around. We need to win just like I was my whole life. But isn't that how they're measured? Yeah, exactly. That's how they're measured. Like, are we exactly whether they're reporting to their board or right, right? That's how, so that's how we've all been trained though. Uh, when course, we went to amazing. school, right? Yeah. When we go to school, oh, you get an A if you do this, this, this. Yeah, yeah. If you pass third grade, fourth grade, fifth grades, whatever, then you can go to college if you blah, blah, right? So we're always being measured. Uh, 
and often short term. I mean, often they're annual bonuses, quarterly bonuses, you know, whatever the incentives are, they're often short term, which of course is always a conflict for long term strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the sad thing is when we're in that state, so we're in a state of defense, which you probably already know when we're not conscious, we're in defense, we're in the egos driving out of toxic fear to keep us safe. So what do you think our results are going to be? Yeah, sure. When we're just playing defense, we're not on offense, we're just defense. So if you're an, if you're a, a, an athlete and you have a football team and, and you're just like, okay, defense, and you have no offense, what are the results going to be? And this is why we have, I'm saying in the US, I don't know what it's like where you are, but people are suffering in major ways and not just anyone, key leaders, heads of companies, executives, 55 and older is the biggest um, number of people right now that are taking their lives mm. because they're like me trying to win, win, win. And they're not getting the results they want because they haven't been taught these tools that we most need in school and at work is but, that I'm a whole being and I have wisdom inside and I want to play offensively, not defensively. It's what's well, the stigma, isn't it? It's the societal stigma of success. Perceived success is to win. Um, totally. How do you be successful? You win. You come out on top. You hit the goals, you whatever it is. But that's the way we're all brought up, isn't it? It's the way it we're totally wired. Is. It's very, yeah. I think there's very few businesses that are not structured that way. I know. And I want to change that. I want as many people who are on board with me to make that change, because not only are we doing it at school, as you know, we're doing it to our children. Yeah, of course. And now children are taking their lives yeah. because now they have the opportunity to see they don't measure up on social media. It's in their face all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a very much a changing landscape and in, in many ways, not for the better. So in practical terms, then, for, for any business owners, managers, leaders, or would-be leaders um, mm. listening to this or watching this, um, what, where do you start? Where do you start if you're onboarding a, a new, let's say they're a CEO or a general manager or managing director, someone in a leadership position or aspires to be in a leadership position? Where do you mm. start? Yeah, so first of all, I say, are you welcome? Are you open to getting messy? It's going to be scary. Are you open to being challenged to see a new perspective? And it's going to be uncomfortable. And being vulnerable for the alpha male in this case, and I'm conscious it's not just males. I mean, there are alpha females, if that's a thing, uh, but the equivalent. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, if that's the right term, even, but you know what I mean? Being vulnerable is and uncomfortable is not a position that they're normally willing to take. So uh, yeah. again, for anyone who's immediately been defensive, listening to this and well, it's not for me, or it sounds a bit hocus pocus. Um, how, how do you break down those barriers and enable people to, to be vulnerable? Yeah. So I just say, how are the results? <laughs> tell me the results you have in your life right now in every area, whether it's work. And I want you to tell me, where do you have abundance? Wealth, love, work, relationship to self and others. Um, where is your abundance to joy? Do you have joy right now? And is this the life you most want to live? Do you have joy? I do the joy meter. I ask them how much joy do you have in a day, right? 10 is ultimate and one is, 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 you know, or zero is none. 
maybe they're going to tell me a five or a six. I'm like, is this what you want to be doing? Are you ready to, to try something different? Mm. You know, and if you want the results you want, what you're doing isn't working because you still don't have them. So why don't you try something different? Absolutely. Which, um, which actually I think is a lovely segue. We're not segueing really. It's just to bring in the, the terminology or the term genius ship, which you've coined. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that, it, it, as you're describing, it's, it's about your entire life. Um, it's not just your work life or your home life or whatever you know, area of life. It's about your whole life. But if you could maybe explain that, just dive in a bit deeper and explain to our, the, our audience what you yeah. mean by genius ship. Yeah. So the reason I chose that word. Um, you created that word. I created that word. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And yes, is because leadership in my world, I've experienced as control, make sure this happens. I have to do this. Otherwise it's not going to get done the way I need it to be done. You know, in, in, in leadership is, is managing and controlling in my world. And that's what I want to do away with. I don't want to be in that control space. I want to open up a space where everyone realizes they all have a genius, a gift inside of themselves to give to themselves in the world, that they are wired and created like no one in all of history to live right here and now for a very special purpose. And it's more than getting things done. And the genius is head, heart, and gut, my whole yes, I use, I say, is this your whole body? Yes. When you are living in your whole yes, that's your genius. And most of the time we don't because we're afraid to say no. So we take on things that aren't ours. We exhaust ourselves. We do way too much. We have low energy because we're not in our genius. We might be in our excellence, which is winning, but it's scary to trust that I can really live the life I most want to live. And it's scary to trust that I really do have a genius. And it's scary to trust I can make money being in my genius zone because the ego is always there saying, well, wait a minute. So it, it's, it is a place of, can I, am I willing to trust jumping from getting a lot of stuff done and having a bunch of gold stars and a lot of money, but I'm exhausted and I'm not fulfilled to can I have even more than what I'm creating right now and be fulfilled living my whole yes and learning what that means and saying, trusting when I say no, that I'm saying yes to my genius. When you, thank you. When you talk about fulfillment, I'm interested uh, you're, when you're onboarding, you know, you're working with new clients and you dig into fulfillment and in your opinion, um, based on the many, many years you've been doing this now, the successful, so-called so successful leaders, let's say, and, and business owners, are they generally fulfilled by that or no. not? No. No. No, and, and I'll tell you what I have found to go even deeper. When I work with CEOs around genius, and I don't work right with genius right away because first we have to be conscious. And yes. most people aren't conscious. Mm. So it's a journey to genius. It's a journey to discover because we've been leaving, been believing our delusion <laughs> <laughs> and for safety. And so 
what I've come to realize, and it's interesting because I work mostly with men who are eights on the Enneagram, they're powerhouses, they are bold, and people are usually afraid of them because they're so bold and they lead that way. They have told me over and over again, when I say to them, are you taking good care of yourself? Are you loving yourself? And they, first of all, say, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And then we get to their true underwriting belief is I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And that motivation of fulfilling worthiness is what's caused them to be these big powerhouses. Which has caused them to be really successful, but they've bypassed their genius because they haven't even listened to that. They think they're unworthy in every area of their life. So, so not so much about imposter syndrome in their position, but literally not being worthy of fulfillment, happiness, yeah. joy. Yeah, they're striving, their motivation is to be worthy. So if you are striving to be worthy and from the outside of you, it will never be enough. No, absolutely. It'll never be enough. So they try harder and go faster. And try. How do I know this? Because it's, it's, my, it's my journey. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's my journey. So it's just the hamster wheel that gets faster and faster and faster and you die unfulfilled. Exactly. Our excellence. I have, I think I told you this, my book that I'm writing is called Our Excellence is Killing Us. Your Excellence is Killing You. Yeah. I look forward to reading that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. So it's really, it's really, I'll tell you how you asked me, how do I get these totally successful leaders. So I'm human with them and I just meet them where they're at. They're perfect right where they're at. They don't have to change, grow, do anything. They can, if they want to live that way and suffer, you know, but just say, are you suffering or how might you be suffering or how might you, you know, and, and can I just be with, meet them right where they're at? And, and that's just enough right there because they don't even take that time. To be still, yeah, sure. to be with themselves or with someone else, really be with someone else. It's often the case, certainly in leadership roles, that they're often quite lonely roles, aren't they? I think they're very we, we, lonely. Uh, often self expectation is stacked up high and it's a weight. Um, yeah. And yeah, a lot of leaders, I think, suffer in silence and loneliness. Which sounds miserable, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, it is miserable. <laughs> it is. And this is why I'm thankful that we're on our podcast because I want to wake people up. Because leaders, especially men who are executives, CEOs, and I'm serious about this, they, just like what you said, they don't feel they have somewhere to go to talk to someone because they have to know the answer to everyone that reports to them, their the whole company, to the board, whatever, to the banker, to the lawyer, to right? And they just got to know but they're suffering so much. So this is why we got to look at the results that we're all creating in the world, that we're getting the highest suicide rates ever amongst these most successful people. Uh, yeah, and substance abuse and a whole host of undesirable realities. Yeah, we're, we're sick. Mm. So our results that we're getting aren't working. But what do we do? We keep doing the same thing. And, and just, you know, people aren't engaged at work. We've got the highest level of 
disengaged people ever. We've got high anxiety more than ever. We've got high stress more than ever, but we're going to forget the pandemic went on. This is my whole thing. By the way, I'm making a plug on July 4th at 12 PM for five minutes. I want the world to pause. It's okay. called the great pause. I want us to pause and to say with our people, whether our friends, our family, or by ourselves, can I just take a breath and appreciate all that I've come through in the last year and a half, the loss I felt, the fear I felt, the anger. Can I just appreciate that, that I've come this far? And what's the most loving thing for me right now? And what do I want to bring to the world? What's my gift of love to the world? because we've been motivated by fear all this time and great lengths. And I know, and I believe love is the opposite of fear. So, you're so how do we you're suggesting that during a busy work day, we should stop. For well, for us, it's a holiday. <laughs> I know. For you, it's a holiday. Absolutely. For us, it's a holiday, but I want it to be a worldwide thing and that we sure. do this regularly we do this every week with our people we do this every year as a remembrance yeah. that this was yeah. not for naught yeah. that we couldn't go to work that we didn't have business as usual because mm. it's like me getting slammed into the curb yep we're going to get a bigger something that's going to try and wake us up if we don't but, get our lessons but like in your case um mm. you you chose to see the opportunity you chose uh to look through a different lens um, and i'm assuming that you're hoping if you can cause people to stop and take a breath and and look through different a different lens that they also have uh, it doesn't have to be an epiphany but can be <laughs> yeah and yeah. it's just like just the pause in and of itself is a change yeah absolutely make the pause that, period make that a daily habit <laughs> make it a, exactly make it a habit to just because exactly like you said we're just running and running and running and running we never pause and so we'll never get to our genius we'll never be fulfilled we'll, and we're going to die exhausted so so in your experience with, with the clients you work with mm -hmm. uh, i'm interested to to hear about the results both because i'm can can we be in a state of fulfillment can we feel fulfilled can we feel joy and still hit our targets and keep the shareholders happy and and mm -hmm. keep the life that is expected um, yeah is it possible to have both it's more than possible and it's the only way so my clients and again it's a journey it's like peeling back the onion right of Oh, I got to get going. Oh, wait a minute. Does this check in with me? Does this bring me joy? Because I believe all of us are wired for energy, for joy, for love. We're all wired for that. And that brings a very different result, a connection to ourself and the world and the, you know, whatever we're up to versus fear, toxic fear when ego's driving, right? So we cannot create, we cannot connect, we cannot collaborate. We can't hear each other when we're not in a space of love and trust, when we're at defense around, this has to be this way, this is when it's gonna happen and you better do this. And people are like, oh, this isn't a collaboration. This isn't a, I'm being told what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not a value. I'm just a wheel in the cog is how people feel. Yep. 
So how is that? It's not working. So when people start, when leaders, when heads of corporations decide, I don't want to be a wheel anymore. I want to stand for who I'm called to be and who I want to become and what's the legacy I'm leaving and who am I going to be, how am I going to be remembered? Right. And, and, and can I raise up geniuses in my company? What do they love doing? What excites them? Where, what ideas do they have when we're in excitement and joy? Oh my gosh, so much creativity and it excitement brings more excitement. Joy brings more joy. So what happens is it's also welcoming to potential clients. You can walk into a corporation. You don't know nothing about them. Cause I used to be in sales when you're allowed to walk in and cold call, you could cut the knife on icky toxic culture. You could feel it. You're like, Oh, yuck. Something's going on here. You can feel that, right? And it's rare when you walk into an organization where there is love and trust being built for self and each other. And when there's that safety, then people can say, you know, you said this, and I have this idea about how this might happen better because then the other person is willing to hear them. When we're in defense, we're not able to hear other ideas. So we're left with either my idea or your idea. And if I don't agree, we're doing going with mine. So not so many possibilities for, for, for the results growing. There's probably just one. <laughs> so for sure, we want to start to bring in that. And also we're suffering with engagement. So do you want to be engaged? Is it working that our people aren't engaged? How do we change that? We got to change the culture. The only way you can change the culture is to be the change. The CEO has got to be the change because everyone's eyes are on the CEO. If they don't change, it's going to be protocol. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing, um, I mean, yes, for sure. Um, it's a leadership responsibility to, uh, to guide and to create the culture and maintain the culture once it's in the right place, but uh, equally, Everyone in the organization needs to be drawn to that. I mean, that, that's the, I guess that is culture, isn't it? When everyone in the organization understands the purpose of the business, their role within that, a sense of responsibility around that, and they, by default, are part of the culture, aren't they? Well, I wanted to say one tweak there. It's not the purpose of the culture, the purpose of the work, I should say. We always have goals, but how are we going to get them done? Mm. This is the switch here. Am I going to do it because I have to, and you better do it. And we have to do this, which is a toxic fear. Or am I, am I going to switch it to, huh? Would you tell me more about that? Because right now I notice in my work, we use candor right now. I'm feeling uneasy with you saying that. And I notice that I, my defenses are going up. I'm going to take a breath and I really want to hear what you're saying. Would you say more about that? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not just content around, this is our purpose. It's how do I go about every single opportunity to co-create and create something in, 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 in the environment? Am I open and curious and taking radical responsibility or am I a blamer or a shamer or a gossiper and not willing to be a co-creator? Sure. But, and, and this is the mindset and the behavior set that yeah. ideally is adopted by everyone in the organization because um, th that leads to true culture. Um, or, or culture yeah. Desire. I mean, that's, 
correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, yeah, uh, so everyone is on their journey. I always like to say everyone, because I've coached teams, right? Organizations, whole organizations. Everyone's on their journey around being open or not to this, to taking radical responsibility. And look, how am I responsible for the results I'm not getting? Am I going to take responsibility or am I going to blame someone else or that it was raining and I'm late? And it's giving people the opportunity to practice stepping into being awake and aware and people take in different things at different times. So providing the opportunity is number one. Can I provide people the option to wake up to looking at different opportunities and that I care enough as a leader to look at what's not working and how might we shift and gain new perspective and invite my people to come with me. And they're all going to be on different journeys. And some people might never want to. And that's when a leader has to decide, is this person for me or not in my organization? Because they're not open and curious. Sure. Well, that's the beginning, isn't it? That's the starting. That you have. Yeah, I guess that's in some ways, I suspect might be one of the hardest nuts to crack um, in, in terms of opening people up, allowing you, allowing them to feel safe and be vulnerable and, and be open to discovering more about themselves. Um, totally. Now, ra rather than, uh, I guess, by default, the clientele that you're interacting with, um, I can imagine a lot of them would say, well, prove, prove it, or how do I measure this? But I need to, it needs to be measurable, it needs to be tangible, something I can take hold of. And I, think, I guess that's where um, Enneagram comes in in the way that you use it. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And certainly i'd be interested to hear how you do use that what what it is and 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 how you use it because i'm conscious that you know within our audience we have leaders business owners and the like or even those who just are on a, a journey of self-discovery and, and are hungry uh, to yeah. be the best version of themselves which is a bit cliche but it's true for many people and i applaud those who feel that within themselves Absolutely. so um, where does enneagram fit into the journey you take your clients on yeah so um so everything i give my clients are conscious tools i try to load them up and practice them not just here read this book but how do we practice every time you get a result you don't want where were you not awake at the switch when you were making that decision what were your thoughts what were your feelings when you had those thoughts and what were your behaviors because 98 to 96 96 98 of the time we're unconscious I love the no so, BS approach. <laughs> what'd you say? I love the no BS approach. Boom, straight to it. But yeah, straight to it. So, not awake, <laughs> right, right. Where were you asleep at the switch, right? Like, and it's normal. No judgment. I don't believe in sure. judgment because we're all the same. We all fall asleep from our patterns, our patterns, our patterns. And the Enneagram is another tool to look at our pattern, our pattern, our pattern. So the Enneagram is one to nine types, and they're all different motivations. And three, so it's nine types. So like uh, seven, eight, nine, or sorry, eight, nines and ones are the gut type, their body intelligence. Twos, threes, and fours are emotional intelligence based and five, six, and sevens are IQ based. So obviously as a leader, you wanna be like, huh, if I'm just one of those types and I wanna have all of my intelligence, I wanna start integrating to the other types. So my work is not just knowing your type, but also noticing when you're asleep with the switch, which is 96, 90% of the time, how it's driving you. It's your delusion. It's your delusion to safety. It's your delusion to thinking you're getting what you want and it drives you. 
So when we step back, it's actually a huge self-awareness tool and a growth tool because we can learn to, given our type, how we might grow and, and change. So I'm a three, I'll just give you an example. So I'm a three and threes are about winning and achieving. That's what a three does. So corporations are either eights or threes, typically heads of corporations are either eights or threes. Uh-huh. Eights are eights are the, the uh, we call them the active uh, controller and, and threes are the winners. And I'm smiling for anyone on YouTube that saw me smile just then is because I've got it on, up on my screen at the moment. And number three, as you described, is, is a competitive achiever. No yeah. surprise. <laughs> is that funny? It's so funny. And so when I'm when I'm asleep at the switch, I'll give you an example. When I'm at the sleep at the switch and my three is running me. If my see if my assistant is talking too slowly, I'm like, hurry up, I gotta get things done you're taking too long. Like this, I feel anxious. I'm like, come on. And I'm not hearing her. Cause I'm like, just tell me what you got to say. Right. And I'm doing six things at once. So things aren't probably getting all done. Cause I'm like, gotta be efficient. That's a three thing. Gotta be efficient. <laughs> and then the three also is they will not fail. That's our default. There is no way I'm going to fail. So that means we can never stop winning, which means we never rest which means getting the goal is the most important thing. So threes suffer from relationships because they don't have time when their unconscious is unconscious. They don't have time to really build a long lasting relationship because they're just concerned about winning the goal. So when I see myself going fast, I know my three is running. I take a deep breath because I know I'm not a three. I'm all nine types. We're all integrated. We're all whole and perfect. But when I get triggered, I go to that pattern. Slow myself down. And I look at what could go wrong. What might I learn if I, because threes never think there's something's going to go wrong. They just win. That's right. (laughs) But there's wisdom in looking like what, what happens if I do this, right? What happens? And if leaders are not looking at what happens, there's going to be a lot of things that happen. So that's just to give you an idea. And each type has its pattern and what it does and it's learning the type. And so I always couple the Enneagram meets conscious leadership. So I, I do a full day workshop on just an intro to what is consciousness and the Enneagram and how do they support each other in waking up to the patterns that serve us, but only have gotten this far, but they're not going to get us to where we want to go. Sure. Um, so a couple of couple of points around that if I may so firstly it's not about right or wrong in terms of the type that, whether you're a one through to no. nine it's not about mm. right or wrong it's about awareness um yes yes and I'm guessing it's really important if you're if you're running a you know if you manage a team or a whole company and you've got different personality types how they those personality types not only how to help them put their best foot forward, but how to interact with each other. Because I'm guessing some of these yeah. personality types are not naturally going to gel and go together. They, they need some support with that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So when I'm coaching teams, we actually, you can type a whole organization on the Enneagram, like a whole organization will show up as a nine or whatever it is, oh, okay. meaning there's high sides and there's low sides. So that organization is a culture. And so then where are the stretches and growth points within the type that we are all together? When we, when I go deeper and I'm working with smaller teams, I actually coach them around, okay, you know, this person's a three and making up a story or whatever it is. So how might they hear you? How might you speak to someone when you know their bent is to hear you as a three? 
What are the words that you might say or how might you say it? Or what questions might you bring to the table knowing they're that? And to challenge them in their three, right? Like for sixes, for instance, I worked with a very large wealth management firm in Chicago and it's kind of crazy, but sixes are about, they always think something's going to go wrong. So when they think something's going to go wrong, they're the, they're the loyal skeptic is what we call them. When they think something's going to go wrong, they're like this looking like the shell game. They're looking to see what could go wrong, what could go wrong. They don't make decisions because they're thinking something's going to go wrong and they just want to have more answers, more answers, more answers. So I would coach their, you know, this is a CEO and a C, uh, CEO and CEO were both sixes. So their team, they had 12 executives underneath them. I said, when you hear so-and-so asking you for more and more, I want you to stop them and say, where are you asking from? Is this from a state of fear or of trust? because they will never give them enough answers for them to make a decision. And it's for the, the CEO to wake up and notice that they're in their sixth pattern to be like, oh, and then take a deep breath. So I give them breathing skills, a whole bunch of self-awareness tools to come back to the present moment, right? We're either in the future and we're fearful because we don't know what's gonna happen or we're in the past and we're hanging on to sadness and resentment and regret, right? Regret. So we wanna come back to presence and so I teach them how to be present by breathing. Um, and then also doing meditation, all of it, they get all the tools to like be present here and now. And so here I take it, we're talking about having uh, illuminating the potential that individuals have in every aspect of their life. We're not just talking about a work environment, are we? we're talking about the whole. And so exactly. do, you, do you tend to find that your clients therefore, um, it's, yeah, it's not just the work environment you're supporting them with and helping them with it improves their personal life their performance in every aspect of their life it's amazing so we were taught like if your dog dies and you go to work don't be sad because it's not the place to be sad right that's what we were taught <laughs> pretty much right yeah sure and i bring that up because thinking about that wealth management firm i told you about there was one of the guys on my team that i coached and really his dog did die the night before and he said, if it were not for these tools to feel my feelings all the way through, to welcome them, to let them come through my body, because normally you just stuff them and then we get sick and to use some of these tools. He's like, I, I could have gone into work for, for days. It would have taken over me. So the, I've learned from, so marriages change. Marriages change when I work with them. Kids' lives change because the CEO, the executives start to teach their children tools they aren't given in school, awareness tools, self-awareness tools. Mm. And so it, it's across the board, it changes. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, Deborah, I, I genuinely could chat to you all day. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious of time. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, and maybe uh, maybe this is not the first and only time we uh, we get you on the podcast, but um, I certainly yeah. appreciate you having been so generous with your time and, and wisdom. Um, you mentioned you're writing a book at the moment um, called mm -hmm. "Your Excellence Is Killing You." Uh, in the future, where would our audience be able to go and find out more about that book or to get a copy of the book? Of course. Yeah. Well, first, reach out to me um, because I'll have a handle on that, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Unfair question, but they could, it would for sure be found via sunderlandcoaching.com i'm guessing yes s-u-n-d-e-r-l-a-n-d -E -E, not sutherland sometimes you'll put the th in there it's s-u-n-d-e-r-l-a-n-d -E -E, sunderland coaching 
absolutely reach out to me there. Um, I always have a lot of learnings workshops going on speaking. Um, I'm leading a workshop here in Nashville this week on what do the four questions that a conscious leader asks to move from overwhelm to joy. So I'm always wanting to give people the tools to walk with a walk away with an aha moment. Mm a new perspective on something they've been suffering with forever, or it's just something huge and it just happened that day. Yeah. No, fantastic. You've also uh, written a blog post uh, called Your Excellence is Killing You, which we'll link to amongst all the other links uh, within the show notes for sure. Thank and, you. Um, look, I, I appreciate you, Deborah, appreciate your time and sharing. Thanks, man. Uh, you've also shared a very personal element of uh, your own life. Uh, glad that you've made not only a full recovery, but you've gone beyond where you were before as a result of that horrific trauma so um and uh, you're you're cycling competitively now or no i'm just riding my bike enjoying riding my bike that's the difference you asked me the difference yep. so now i get on the bike being grateful that i can pedal and yep. take in nature versus having to get somewhere to win it's a very different motivation i suspect that there'll be a, a lot of people listening to this or watching this in our audience that can perhaps be thinking hmm yeah, that's like sounds like a place I wouldn't mind to get to. Because we've got some very competitive uh, everyday athletes. Um, yeah. And I wonder how much <clears throat> true joy is in that uh, in terms of what's really driving them uh, versus getting a sense of joy, just enjoying it. Uh, yeah, that was that took me a while after my accident to really get to that point. It was it took me about a year to be OK with I'm not going to race again. It's too dangerous for my brain mm. and to finally welcome I'm alive and I get to be with myself in the world. Like, isn't that the gift? And this is, this goes to work, right? This is the same thing for work instead of, can I enjoy going to work or do I have to do I should on myself and I have to get a bunch of things done in order to accomplish a bunch, right? Or can I just enjoy being alive with the people in my work world? Yeah, sure. Very different. Yeah. No, really, really powerful message. And uh, I appreciate you sharing it. Um, Deborah. On that thank note, you. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the stop button. Um, okay. After I've said, um, yeah, just again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, and uh, I know that our paths are gonna cross again. I love it. Yeah, let me know if I can do anything for you too, and supporting what you're building over there in Australia. 